You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We are uh, continuing today uh, in our series in the New Testament book of Acts. And to give it a little context, right, as Jesus promised, uh, the believers uh, who were waiting in Jerusalem received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down on them, 120 of them, uh, men and women, uh, gathered together in a single house there in Jerusalem. Uh, then Peter stood up and preached his first sermon, which we looked at, it's recorded in this chapter. Uh, and that sermon, of course, had a remarkable outcome. Uh, 3,000 people uh, professed faith in Jesus Christ and were added to the church. So at this point in the narrative, the church is uh, in Jerusalem and it's 3,120 members strong. What did they do? Right? What did that uh, spirit-filled church look like? Well, that's what we're going to explore today as we prepare to come to uh, the Lord's table. Um, we're going to be looking at Acts 2, 42 to 47. This is one of several um, famous descriptions of the early church um, that appear in Acts. This is the first of, the, of them, and um, it, really a very important passage about the church and who we are. So if, uh, if you're able to stand, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Um, it's it printed for you in the bulletin if you don't have a Bible. This is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Merciful Father, challenge us today with this pattern you give us here of what your church should be and help us at New Life to be that church. Help us to be the church you would will us to be. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, over the last four years, as some of you know, God has used a combination of personnel challenges, politics, and a pandemic to do here at New Life what Jesus promised he would do, and that is prune his people. Uh, prune them for future growth and fruitfulness. We are in a new season, and in a sense, rebooting our ministry. And that's one of the reasons why we're looking at the book of Acts right now. Uh, we are studying the pattern that God lays down in Acts for a spirit-filled church. Acts is history, but it's not just history. It's, it's also, in a sense, a manual 
the manual for how we should be the church. And unlike the original disciples, fortunately, we do not have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, he came at Pentecost and he hasn't left. Uh, he's here. Uh, he is in every one of you who is a believer here, and he is even right now shaping uh, our congregation. So what should we look like? What should new life look like? What should our distinguishing characteristics be? Well, this text lays out, that we just read, lays out four identifying distinguishing characteristics of a spirit-filled church. Right, a spirit-filled church is, number one, a learning church. Number two, a sharing church. Number three, a worshiping church. And number four, a witnessing church. So I want, as we come to the table, I want to just look briefly at each one of those four things. Learning, sharing, worshiping, and witnessing. First, a spirit-filled church is a learning community. Verse 27, or excuse me, verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, we don't come together on the Lord's Day like this uh, seeking some kind of spiritual high, some kind of spiritual experience. We come primarily seeking knowledge. Now that's not to say that there isn't a, an experiential component of our faith. Of course there is, right? But, but that, that experience is born out of knowledge. It, it, as you come to know Jesus, as you come to know him in a deeper way, you will come to experience deep love and, and uh, joy and peace and open-heartedness and gratitude. We also don't come together today, like many followers of uh, Eastern religions, trying to empty our minds, right? Uh, in fact, we come trying to fill them <laughs> with the knowledge of the Lord. Paul says that the Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. Christianity is fundamentally a thinking person's religion. Now, a Spirit-filled church is devoted to teaching, but it's not just any teaching, right? It's apostolic teaching. In other words, because Christianity is based in, on real events that happened in real time, we want to learn from the, the eyewitnesses and the earwitnesses of those events, those people. We want to know what Jesus did. We want to know we, what Jesus said. And that's, you know, that, that's right, one of the definitions of an apostle. He was an eyewitness, an ear witness. He was there and saw uh, Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus as well. Um, and we know from Peter's sermon that we, uh, that's in this chapter, and, and we know from the later sermons that we'll read in Acts, uh, that apostolic teaching focused, not surprisingly, on the person and the work of Jesus, right? His life, his death, his resurrection, and how Jesus fulfilled all of the promises of God uh, to, to his people that are laid out in the Hebrew scriptures, right? Now, since the apostles, of course, aren't around now, uh, we go to the New Testament, 
That's where the apostolic testimony has been deposited and safeguarded. Uh, So a spirit-filled church is a church that submits to and teaches and preaches, uh, submits to the authority and preaches and teaches both the Old Testament and the New Testament as the Word of God. As St. Augustine famously said in the Old Testament, the new is concealed and in the new the old is revealed. Right? The old the Old and New Testaments make up one consistent narrative uh, and uh, both, of course, culminate, uh, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Apostolic teaching. That's what we are. A spirit-filled church is distinguished by. Second, a spirit-filled church is a sharing community. Verse 42, again, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now get the image out of your mind that uh, a spirit-filled church or that, you know, at that church in Jerusalem was full of people who stood around uh, after the worship service and made small talk while drinking coffee on the patio. Uh, Now, uh, listen. I'm, I'm glad we do that. It's important we do that. It's a good thing that we do that. And I encourage you to do that. Uh, that is a kind of fellowship. But that's not the fellowship that, that Luke is talking about uh, here. He's talking about something much deeper, much more fundamental, more radical. The word that's translated fellowship here, and it may be translated differently if you have some, an, an, another version other than the ESV. Um, the, I'm, I'll use the Greek word. I, I normally don't, but I, I'm using it here because many of you have heard the word. It's koinonia. Now that, that's the word that's translated fellowship here. And koinonia, the, the root word of koinonia is koinos, which is Greek for common. Right? It's, it refers to what is common. That's why you know, the, we, uh, the New Testament is written in koine Greek, common Greek, Greek of the streets, not, not the classical Greek that my son uh, learned in, in, and teaches in classics, uh, but common Greek, street Greek. I've always appreciated that about the New Testament. So this, is, this fellowship, this koinonia, is, is referring to what we share in common. And in a spirit-filled church, there's, there's that kind of fellowship, that kind of sharing at two levels. We, to, we together share in something, and we together share out of something. Okay? Let me explain what I mean. Together we share in the life of God himself. We share in God himself. Now Luke doesn't say that. What he does is show us what that looks like. Right? This, this description of, of how people were acting in, the, in this early church is a description of people who are sharing the life of God. But, but the other apostles talk about it. Right? First in John, the apostle John in 1 John uh, says that uh, our koinonia as believers, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about our, uh, the, the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. Right? So as believers in Jesus, you, you and I share in common in the, in the life 
of the Father, the Son, and the life of the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a pretty remarkable truth. And what that does, among other things, is it results in a felt brotherhood, sisterhood, right? It's, uh, you know, think about it, right? If we're, if we're sharing commonly in, in one Father, right? the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then that makes us brothers and sisters. And we, we, and we use those terms, uh, you know, as Christians. We t- refer to each other as brothers and sisters. That's not just, but those aren't just empty words. I mean, those, th- that is describing or should be describing a felt reality. Um, I can tell you that I decided a long time ago uh, that I would not voluntarily leave uh, New Life Church as your pastor because it would be for me tantamount to leaving family. Right? You are my family. Uh, it's not just a job. I, as I've w- went to, be, you know, as I became a pastor, I realized, you know, how, how do pastors do it? They kind of church hop. I mean, it's, how do you hop families? You know, you're my family. Um, and you know where you where you feel where you can really feel it in a very tangible way, and in and in, in maybe in an unexpected way, is on a short term missions trip. Uh, the the uh, you know short think about short term missions trip if if you've been on one right you 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 fly somewhere foreign country uh, you. You, you wake up in the morning and everything is strange, right? Everything's foreign, right? You, you, you're in an environment where the culture, the language, the food, the smells, the customs uh, are totally foreign, totally strange and foreign to you. And, and yet with the Christians that you will meet there on the short-term trip, uh, you may probably can't talk to them because you don't know their language. They are more than likely much poorer than you are. You almost immediately feel, I mean literally feel, a, a, a fellowship, that koinonia, that uh, overwhelming sense that in the midst of all of this foreignness, all of this strangeness, that there is a sense in which I'm home. I'm on the other side of the planet, and yet I'm around brothers and sisters with whom I have much in common. It's, a, it, it's, it's remarkable. It's one of the most remarkable and best things about a short-term missions trip. And if you haven't taken one, please put it on your list to do. We're going to do at least one next year uh, out of new life here, and would love to have you join us. Um, so, if the first kind of fellowship is this sharing in the life of God, then the second level of fellowship is sharing out what God gives us, what God blesses us with, with our brothers and sisters that have needs. And that's principally what Luke is talking about here. That's the kind of koinonia that's largely on display here. These fleshing out in verses 44 and 45, where people are, are selling their possessions and belongings and, and pooling their resources and sharing uh, with people that have needs. Now, this is not 
uh, communism. It is not uh, enforced socialism. It's not was not a requirement when you joined the church that you you know signed title over to your property. This is all voluntary. Uh, they did not have to do this. This is what they did um, as as the spirit moved them. Um, and you think about it, right? Since we're brothers and sisters, it's only natural and right that if, you know, if we've got a brother or sister in need, what do you do? I mean, you, you take care of them. These aren't random people. We take care of family, right? So a spirit-filled church is a giving church. It's a radically generous church. It's a church that takes care of its people, even when it's costly, even when it's costly. Uh, because we stand as Christians as beneficiaries of the costly grace of God, right? Uh, God, God uh, it, it cost God his son uh, to forgive us and to make us whole, to redeem us. And so, uh, so we can share in a costly way uh, with our brothers and sisters. And sometimes this gets noticed. We don't do it to be noticed. But sometimes it gets noticed, and it gets noticed by the world. It's, it is, it's so countercultural that the world looks at it with favor, right? Verse 47 says that uh, they, you know, the people are having favor with all the people. I think I, I, I can remember the quote. I can't remember the Roman official who said it. It was in a letter, uh, some Roman official in the er, early years of the church writing to another Roman official uh, talking about how, uh, the, how well the Christians love one another. It's like, see how they love one another. See, they knew. They could see it. Uh, and, 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 and they judged it favorably. Uh, I'm, as a pastor, I'm, I probably have an inside track on, uh, uh, on a lot of the sharing Koinonia that goes on here at New Life that you you may not know about. It's, it's there's a lot of remarkable stuff that's happening, uh, and in terms of visiting and m- meals and uh, babysitting and bringing people into your homes to live. Um, uh, gosh, what else? Um, you know, uh, helping people move, helping people clean. Um, it's and it and it gets noticed, uh, and off, oftentimes the people will come to me. You know, like neighbors will walk up to me and say, "You know what? Who are all these people that, that keep coming?" Or the doctors or nurses will, you know, at a hospital will say, "You know, it's like it's like you got the the, the choir coming in here. What's going on?" So you know, it says there's like twelve people and they're singing. They're not supposed to be doing that. I go, Sorry, uh, it's uh, uh, it's it's pretty cool. I th- just to give you one very recent example. I got uh, I was texted yesterday uh, by one of our elders who got a phone call. This relates to a family that we helped, um, and we uh, the deacons and a bunch of people uh, came together to to help this family in many ways. And one of the things we did was procure a rental house uh, for, for this family and and uh, help them with that with the rent and and then help them move in and then help them move out and then and then you know c- 
cleaned up the house and so we could turn the keys back to the landlord. And that was, uh, uh, you know, turned out to be a pretty big job, cleaning and painting and replacing some carpet and other things. And uh, this elder, elder texted me, and he'd, he'd gotten a call from the uh, property manager. And he says, uh, here's what he said, uh, the place does, does not look great. It looks spectacular. I have not seen models look this good. What you guys did for that family is amazing. I am a born-again Christian, and I have never seen anything like this. That cool? Now that's you know that's not the unbelieving world seeing. It's an it's an outsider to our to our fellowship here. It happens to be a, a brother, uh, born again Christian. But but you know it's it's a testimony uh, of uh, it, by our deeds to the goodness of God. Okay, so we are a, a we, we are a uh, a learning community. We're a sharing community. And then third, a spirit-filled church is a worshiping community. Uh, you know, it's time we call a truce on the worship wars, okay? And it's time to lay aside uh, and, and stop insisting and stop dividing over our personal preferences about worship. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Right? You know, you look at this portrait of a spirit-filled church, it is, when it comes to worship, it's a remarkably balanced uh, picture, right? There is what we've already talked about, verse 42, Christ-centered preaching and teaching. There's also, uh, verse 42 also mentions that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Literally in the Greek, it says the breaking of the bread, which is a, uh, that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. The breaking of the bread is so they were dedicated to to the regular uh, uh, participation in the Lord's Supper and the prayers, which is a way of talking about the the prayers of the community, the corporate prayers uh, of the church. So so a spirit filled church includes its worship is includes Christ centered preaching and teaching, communion and prayer. But it doesn't stop there. It also includes praise, right? Verse 47, they were together praising God. doesn't say how, but it is almost certainly through their prayers, through reading psalms of praise. In particular, right, the psalms were great ways to express praise. And also, undoubtedly, through singing, music and singing. But, you know, that this balance also goes even further than that. A spirit-filled church is both formal and informal, right? It's not one or the other, it's both. Verse 46, right, they met in the temple, formal. And they met in their homes, informal. Right? See, life groups are not something we made up here at New Life. I, I don't know if, they, I don't think they called them life groups, but that's what they were, right? Uh, the church comes together, New Life Church comes together regularly in the sanctuary here, like we're doing right now, and we come together during the week in our homes. 
And, and the church has been doing it ever since the Holy Spirit filled it. Right? So if you're not in a life group yet, get in one. Right? This is, this is one of the ways a spirit-filled church worships. Right? In the sanctuary, in our homes. Um, balance continues. Right? A spirit-filled church is also both reverent and joyful. Listen, I have friends, I mean, right, you don't go to seminary without, you know, making friends who, ha- who believe that church should have a lot of gravitas. They always say it that way, gravitas. Church has to have gravitas, which means it has to be reverent and serious and because it's serious business. Totally agree. I also have friends, right? You don't become a Christian in Southern California and, and participate in Calvary Chapel without having friends that think the church should always be happy and clappy, right? That the church should, should be marked by, by joy and praise uh, uh, all the time and that, that, and that this gravitas is a downer. Uh, listen, it's... I, it, it's both. Again, it's not one or the other. It's both. The spirit-filled church is both reverent and joyful. Uh, worship has awe in it, right? Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. The Greek word there is the same word for fear. It's, so the, but the idea is not being scared. It's, it's the idea is kind of a reverential awe, right? Gravitas. Um, uh, but a spirit-filled church is also full of worship, that is, as it says in 46 and 47, glad and joyful and full of praise. It's both. And, and it's good that we, we, that we have that, that praise amidst uh, the, the gravitas, right? I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm reminded. I've used. I've, I've shared this quote with you before of C.S. Lewis's profound reflections on praising God in uh, in his little book, Reflections on the Psalms, uh, where he he says, "I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Right? It is its appointed consummation." That's, that's really profound, I think, and it's absolutely true. Enjoyment of something or someone always spontaneously turns into praise, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Um, you know, when I go out to eat, sometimes I, uh, I look at someone eating alone in a nice restaurant, and they're eating alone, and it always seems sad, right? Um, and, and then, and then, uh, like I was just traveling, uh, was in Atlanta last week uh, with Mission to the World, and now it was me eating alone in the nice restaurant. People are looking at me like, "Oh, that poor man." But there's something to it. I mean, right? Well, part of the problem is there you are in a nice restaurant. You're eating this gr- wonderful meal, but it's but I and, and I'm enjoying it, but I'm not enjoying it nearly as much as eating it with someone else. Why? Because I want to praise the meal. 
Right? I want to tell somebody how great the steak is. That, the steak tastes better. I enjoy the steak more when I can praise it. Right? Isn't that right? It's, um, it's like, it's the same with the movies. I couldn't imagine going to see Top Gun Maverick alone. Right? Are you kidding me? I mean, you can't, you have to sit next to somebody and, and say, did you see that? That was awesome. <laughs> right? Um, our praise of what we enjoy completes our joy. And so that's why praise is such an important part of, of worship uh, in a spirit-filled church and, and, and here because it completes our enjoyment of God. He is worth enjoying and he's worth praising. Right? He's awesome. Okay, fourth and finally. So we're a learning uh, we're a learning church, we're a sharing church, we're a worshiping church, and finally a spirit-filled church is a witnessing church. Now, Luke doesn't come right out and say it, but he does say it, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See that? Now, what we, we already know from what we've already learned in Acts in that, that the Lord didn't, doesn't do that. He doesn't add people who are being saved apart from the believers in that church doing something, right? They were given the Holy Spirit so that they would have the power to do what? To testify, right? And you will have the power, Jesus said, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And friends, you have the same spirit and you're on the same mission. Right? The Lord adds to our number by way of your testimony, your witnessing to Jesus. Witnessing about Jesus. Now let me, as we close here, I just, th- this is a loaded verse. And let me just hit, hit a, a few points here. Uh, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. First, notice who does the saving. The Lord does the saving. Right? You do the testifying. You testify as a witness for Jesus. The results are God's responsibility. Right? I think some of us pull back from witnessing, pull back from uh, testifying about what we know of Jesus because we're afraid that we have to produce a result. We have to close the deal. That's not our responsibility. It's not our ability. Our, res- our responsibility is simply to testify to the truth, the results, what happens with your testimony is God's responsibility. Second point. Um, you know, every Christian can and must testify. You, every Christian can and must be a witness for Jesus. Um, and we can all do it, even new believers. You know, there are two models, there, there are probably more, but I w- there are at least two models, and you can do one or both of them, I- any believer in here. And, and they're, they're, they were both done by a guy named Philip. Right? You've got Philip the disciple and Philip the deacon. 
Philip the disciple, right? He was, Philip was one of the 12 disciples called by Jesus to be a disciple. One of the first things Philip does is go to Nathaniel and says in the Hamilton unauthorized version, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. To which Nathaniel says what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Shows you what Nazareth, the reputation of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And do you remember Philip's rejoinder? He says, come and see. Come and see. See, this is, Philip, this is the Philip the disciple model of testimony. We can all do that. Even a new believer can, can say, come and see. Come with me to new life and see. Right? We can all do that. But then there's, there's another model too. Uh, and this may be for more seasoned believers, but I'm guessing most of the believers here in this service could, could do this method as well. Philip the deacon uh, we, we haven't run into Philip the deacon yet. We will. He's introduced in Acts uh, when, when the church realizes that they need, in addition to elders, they need deacons and they appoint the first seven deacons of the church. Philip is one of those. A different Philip is a deacon. And then the church is persecuted and, and people are, they spread out right, because of the persecution. Spread out all over the Near East. And Philip's out there and runs into the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Who happens to be reading Isaiah 53. The great chapter about Jesus. And, and um, uh, he doesn't understand what he's reading. And he asks Philip, you know, I'm reading this. I don't understand it. Can you help me? And it says, this is in Acts chapter 8. We'll get there. But it, it, it says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, that is Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. And I suspect most of you, if presented, you know, starting with Isaiah 53, you could talk to a friend, talk to a neighbor and say, let, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the gospel. Jesus, you know, by his stripes we are healed, right? We, uh, he died for our sins. Um, third, uh, notice from this verse 47 here that being saved and being added to the church are inextricably related, right? It's not just those, he, God didn't just save them and God didn't just add them to the church, he added to the church those who were being saved, right? When you become a believer, you are added to the church, right? This idea of, you know, the, the lone ranger Christian, the Marlboro man Christian, right? I can be a Christian, but, and, I, and you know, I love Jesus, but man, the church is a pain in the neck, you know? So I'm going to be the Marlboro man Christian, right? Lone. On my horse, cancer stick in my mouth. Um, no, church is not an option for Christians. Is it a mess? Is it hard? Yeah, but that's—I mean—that's—that's that's the idea. It's where it's where we are sanctified, right? It's where it—it's it, where we are to live out our faith in Jesus. We're brothers and sisters. We have to live together. 
And then finally, fourth, uh, and this is an important one, the church grows by people coming to faith. Right? It, that's pretty obvious. But, uh, you know, we need to re, sort of refocus on that basic truth. Right? And it's, it's my prayer in this reboot of our ministry that we rededicate ourselves as leaders and for all of us at New Life to, to our responsibility to testify, to witness, uh, so that we will see New Life and other congregations in our community grow with new Christians. New Christians. People who are coming to faith for the first time, not with transfers. Look, I love transfers. Don't get me wrong. Many of you are transfers. You came to us from another church. You were already believers. Love you guys. Not going to turn you away. Right? But there's no net growth to the kingdom. Right? We're just moving pieces around in the kingdom. Right? Our responsibility, uh, you know, Jesus has enlisted us in this responsibility to grow his kingdom. He, he tells us to pray for his kingdom every day. Uh, so uh, we, we need to do that. Guys, we're, sit, we're sitting on good news that your neighbors and friends and co-workers need, need to hear. They're tr- I've been trying to get back into the mind of an unbeliever. It's been a long time. And 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 it, that's a, it's a good exercise. One of the things I one I do I do a lot of reading uh, of uh, uh, writings by unbelievers. But I also recently am I'm working now through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Wow, what a eye opener! Because that's really a, a, an, a, a, an unflinching examination of what life is like without reference to God, right? If you're living life under the sun with no reference to any reality beyond the sun, right? And, uh, and what Ecclesiastes tells you is that it is, it's a slow spiral to um, futility and frustration and disappointment. And so many of, uh, of our friends and neighbors are, are experiencing that. They're trying to live a life. They're trying to put together a life that's successful and happy and meaningful. But, but it, is, it is inevitably, because it's, they're, they're disconnected from God, it's spiraling into futility uh, and, and disappointment. Um, I was listening to a TED Talk the other day, Christian writer speaking, and uh, she was saying that she, she has a seven-year-old her seven-year-old grandson living in her home with her. And, and she, she says, it's wonderful. He says, she says, sometimes he'll, he'll wake up in the morning, he'll come in, and, uh, and he'll say, this could be the greatest day ever. Right? And then she goes, and then the next day, he'll, he'll shuffle in, and he'll say, Nana, are you going to get sick and die? And she was reflecting on that, you know, the seven-year-old boy, right? And she goes, you know, that's kind of the human condition 
apart from God. She goes, you know, you, you live apart from the gospel and, and life is a, is a mix of happy anticipation and other times of dark dread of the future and dark dread of death. And that's what our friends are living with, right? Sure, they, there's a lot of good and a lot to anticipate happily about life. God is the God of common grace and, and there's much we can celebrate and be happy about, but, there are, but they are also, even as they are experiencing those things, there is there that looming sense that won't go away of um, there's a, there's a, I know I'm going to die. And what's that going to mean? What does that mean for my life? What is it? Um, well, we have the answer, don't we? Right? Jesus Christ came to set us free from the guilt and the shame and uh, sin that we have. Uh, he, he freed us from sin and the death that sin brings. Right? An emancipation that Jesus didn't just proclaim, but accomplished by his living for you and dying for you and rising for you, right? So we have, um, now, not problem-free lives, but, but, but that dark dread of a, of a black future, um, of, of death winning and rendering everything over and meaningless is gone for those in Christ, Amen. right? That's the good news. And let's rededicate ourselves to getting that good news out to those who need it as desperately as we need it, right? Amen? Let's pray. We'll go to the table. Lord, thank you for um, this description of your church. I, you know, we fall short in so many ways, Lord, but I pray that we would, under the influence of your spirit, we would become... Um, in every respect, a spirit-filled church that pleases you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.